Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, good to see everybody again. And um, hope you're enjoying the holidays so far and Christmas coming up. Um, love this time of the year. Love this time of the year. They're already playing the Christmas, Christmas music on the radio. Amen? Isn't that good? Love it. Some of you are like, it's too early. We just got done with Thanksgiving. Uh, I love it. I'm glad that we started into it. All right, if you have a Bible or you have a smartphone with the Bible on it, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9. So the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a bit of a Christmas series, and it all will emerge out of Isaiah chapter 9. So um, join us, be a part of it, either online or here live and in person. Uh, We'd love to have you, but um, that's where we're going to be, Isaiah chapter 9. Specifically today, we're looking at Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7. Um, I'm not going to read the entire section. There's a lot there. There's a lot of names of places that, that, that I don't want to have to try and, you know, uh, pronounce. So, so we're just going to, I'm going to kind of jump around in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And uh, basically I'll do w- the first part of verse 1. Then we'll look at verses 2 and 3, and then we'll look at 6 and 7, all right? And I'm going I'm to have you get involved in this. If you would, just stand with me. Go ahead and stand. I know you just sat down from singing, but I'm going to have you stand one more time. And uh, if you have your Bibles open or if you have your app open, just kind of read along. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and um, you can follow along there. But it's, you know, sometimes it's good to have everybody standing just to take in Scripture. And uh, here we go. All right. Verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. I'm going to move down to verse 2 now. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. Hang on to that. Remember that. Where death casts its shadow. Verse 3. Israel will again be great and its people will rejoice as people at harvest time. They will shout with joy like warriors dividing the plunder. All right, now verses 6 and 7. We're going to move down a little bit more. For a child is born, and these may be the most familiar of the passages to you. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee it. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so that's our passage. Just to help us get into the passage a bit, um, I want to share this with you. I, I saw something in the news a couple of weeks ago, and I just sort of made a, a note of it in my head because I knew some, at some point I would want to use it in a sermon or in a message, and sure enough, this, this is the message. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is it's one of these kind of cultural realities, and we've managed to give it a name. You know, kind of like, kind of like Googling something. You know, before there was Google, we never had a Googling anything, and you don't, you don't find that, you didn't find that in the dictionary or anything. But, so this is another one of those sort of cultural uh, name tags that we've, that we've attached to something that happens in our culture. And here's the thing, you have either, you're either guilty of it, you're either guilty of it, or you've been a victim of it. 
right? So this is, this is what it's called. And maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe we'll even take a little poll to see who's heard of it. But the, the, the term is called fubbing. Fubbing. Now, who's heard of fubbing? Anybody heard of fubbing? No one's heard of fubbing. All right. So it's, it's, it's actually, it's a real deal. It's, it's a new sort of piece, a little, little bit of language that we've attached to a phenomenon that happens in the culture. So what is fubbing? We're going to put it on the screen here. Here you go. Now, remember I said either you're guilty of it or you've been a victim of it. What is it? Ignoring the person in front of you in favor of your smartphone. Hello? <laughs> yeah. So, so like I said, now, I know this is a great audience. You're always engaged with the people you're talking to. Right in front of you, you stick that phone aside, right? Yeah. Well, the truth of the matter is there's a real, there's a terminology that we've now attached to this. There was a study done out of Baylor University. In fact, about 42% of the people surveyed, that's what it looks like. Yep, right there. Yep. Not going to get a second date, probably, right? So, so there's a study done out of, out of Baylor University that talks about the impact of our, our devices in our lives, specifically cell phones, and this phenomenon of fubbing. And basically, 42% of the people that were surveyed had been, had been uh, victims of fubbing. And a 20, about 25% of those people surveyed said that fubbing had impacted their relationship negatively in some way. So that's the thing that's happening. The reality is all of us can probably relate to at least even the temptation to turn to our phone and ignore the person standing right in front of us. That is basically phone snubbing, fubbing, phone snubbing. As much as that is a reality in our culture, as much as you and I perhaps at some point or another have been guilty of it or a victim of it, I want to I suggest to you that perhaps it reveals a little bit more. Perhaps it reveals a little bit more about kind of the nature of humanity and the, kind of the, the soul and where we are as a culture. And it may be more profound even right now towards the holidays and so forth. Here's what I believe perhaps is going on. I don't know about you, but as a kid growing up, I was constantly... I was constantly wanting to make sure that I was involved in anything that was going on. Um, I didn't want to miss out on anything. So, if, for example, if there were people visiting our house, um, and they were hanging out, maybe we had a meal together, and all the young kids had to go to sleep, and all the adults were left up talking, I, I would lay in bed, and sometimes I'd get up and go to the door, doing my best to try and listen to what, was, what, they, what the adults were talking about. I had the hardest time going to bed, knowing that other people were up, doing something, talking, having a good time, because I wanted to be right in the middle of it. I didn't want to miss out on anything. And um, the truth is, I, I think the reality is for most of us, and for, the, for humanity is that there's, a, there's, a, there's sort of an aching sense within all of us that we don't, we don't want to miss anything. That, there's, that there are things going on and there are things happening and there's, there, there, there's life to be lived in the here and now. And I want to I take these moments and grab all of the experiences and all of the, all of the gusto, if you will, out of the current reality, out of this present life. And it's even true, even true for, for those of us who are, who are, who are Christians, right? Because what do I always tell us in church, right? There's, there's this place beyond the blue, 
right? That this world is not our home, right? We're just passing through. But the truth of the matter is there's a big part of us that we don't want to just pass through. We actually want to sort of, you know, stop and hang for a bit, right? I mean, there's, 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 this, there's this sort of desire within all of us to sort of, to really take advantage of this life, to do as much as we can. I'm not saying it's altogether bad, but to do as much, not to miss out on anything that we have, an experience, a relationship, whatever. It's almost like, you know, everybody talks about their bucket list, but it's like every moment it seems today is a bucket list thing. It rises to the level of bucket list. Man, I better do this now because I may not have a chance to do it. All right. That's what I think is kind of going on with this whole fubbing phenomenon. It reveals a deeper reality of our hearts. We're preoccupied with this life. We're preoccupied with the things of this life because there's a big part of us that doesn't want to miss out on anything. And as much as we talk about it as Christians, the reality of the life to come, the here and now is really something that, that really grabs our attention too. Um, Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller's great author, great pastor out in New York City. He, um, he made this comment or this observation about the culture today. He said that there's never been a civilization, we've never had a, a time in the history of our world where we were less confident, listen to this, where we were less confident in the reality of a life to come. In other words, past civilizations, past generations were always very much aware of and assumed the reality of a better life than the present. They, they, were, they were confident in the fact that though this life is tough, though this life has its challenges, though, though, this is, though we experience loss and grief and so forth, what, they, what we're confident in, what they were confident in, what we're less confident in today is the reality of a life beyond the here and the now. And so you and I sort of live in this, in this tension. We, we, we know that there's a life beyond the here and now. We, we even, you know, we talk about it, we sing about it. But there's also the reality of the, of the life in the present. And, and I don't want to miss anything right here. There's, there's, there's stuff that I want to do. There's, there's this, this I, I don't want to miss anything. I want to be about what's happening here. So when you look at those passages, let's go back to now to, to Isaiah chapter 9 and, 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 hang, and check this out. There's a, there's a word that emerges and there's a reality that merge, emerges from these passages. And that's the word darkness. In verse 1, remember verse 1, it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And what, and what he's talking about, and what Isaiah is talking about, this is one of what we call, what theologians call a messianic prophecy. Because what he's saying is that the darkness is real right now for you, my people, but hold on. The darkness and the time of darkness and despair won't last forever. And it's interesting what he, what he means by darkness. If you take a little time and look at the, the Hebrew, what he's emphasizing here is the reality of death. It's the darkness of death that looms over. In fact, it says it, um, it, says, it says in verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And uh, then it says, on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. 
What he's saying is that this, this darkness, this death that casts a shadow will not last forever. It won't last forever. Don't get distracted by the reality of the darkness that's all around you. Don't become so preoccupied with doing everything and not missing out on anything because you understand the reality of of the shadow of death that you forget about the hope of the future. And the truth is you and I can relate to that because what we just talked about um, is that we sort of, we're all aware of our own mortality. We all understand that the clock is sort of ticking on all of us. And, and we do want to live as much life as we can and do as much as we can. Um, all right, so I have a little confession to make in the spirit of total transparency. So when I was, um, when I was a teenager and uh, I didn't quite have that summer job, I was like 16 and I, was, I needed a summer job. Didn't quite have one. It was actually the time before I went to summer camp because I worked at summer camp. So there's like that gap of four or five weeks and my mom was like, get your behind out the house and go work, right? Your mom ever tell you that? Yeah. So, so I didn't have, but I didn't have this job. So what I did was I, all right. So I watched, I watched soap operas before. <laughs> I did. I watched the soaps. Um, I watched General Hospital and All My Children. And some of y'all still watch them, don't you? Yeah. So that's why, and, and it was funny, but the one that I didn't watch was, is the one I remember the most, and that was the Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. And um, I re- I'll never forget the, uh, the intro to Days of Our Lives. Remember the hourglass? Remember that? Like sand through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. <laughs> y'all are so sad. But anyway... That's good stuff right there. That's all I got to say. But I, I never, oh, that, that left an impression on my mind. I was thinking about that this week. And the reality is for you and me, we understand that to a certain extent, the clock is ticking on us. So in the same way that the shadow of death loomed over God's people back 2,000 years ago, that same shadow of death, if you will, looms over all of us. And the tendency or the temptation will be for us to to be so consumed by the reality of our own mortality in this day and age that we forget about the reality of the eternity that the God of the universe promised us beyond this age. Beyond this age. And so what, what and, and here's, a, here's a little bit more of the context of, the, of, the sec, of this section of Scripture that we're going to continue to look at over the next three weeks, um, is that, that you have, what you have is you have, um, you have a lot of conflict going on. You have a divided kingdom of Israel. So you have Israel in the north, you have Judah in the south. Now, the king at the time in Judah, in the south, where Jerusalem is the capital, is a guy by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz is nervous because in the north, Israel has teamed up with the, with the Syrians, the Syrians. They've sort of joined, they've become an alliance, and they've decided, hey, we're going to go and attack and take Judah, take Jerusalem. Well, Ahaz gets a little nervous, but God comes along and tells him, look, chill, dude, if you read chapter 8... You read, and, and here is sort of the climax of it here in chapter 9. But if you read chapter 8, it's sort of the height of Ahaz's uh, paranoia about the reality of the, of, the, of, the, of the alliance up to the north. And he's terrified. And God comes along and says, look, 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 no, 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 chill, dude. I got you. I got you. I will take care of you. Ahaz is afraid. 
the, the looming shadow of death, he's nervous. He's terrified. So what he does is he decides to take things into his own hands. Can you relate to that? Yes. We've all taken things into our own hands, out of God's hands, and said, oh, I can handle this guy. So, so here's Ahaz. He forms, actually, he forms an alliance, but he actually has to sort of pay for his alliance. He pays the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians are the nastiest dudes on the block, all right? They are big and bad, and they will, they will take you down. So he says, I'm going to go get the Assyrians. I will pay them to take care of this alliance up to the north of me between Syria and Israel. And sure enough, the Assyrians come through. They decimate that alliance to the north. The problem is the Assyrians decided that they wanted a little bit more. So they continue south and they come to Judah and they come to Ahaz's kingdom and they decimate him too. And so we, this is sort of the aftermath of the reality that Ahaz is, is beginning to live out. And he, he realizes that, that death is all around him. He's been devastated. He's been decimated. He is, he is, he is a mess. And it's at this time, it's at this time that Isaiah comes along and he begins to prophesy to, to the people who have been decimated. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and God says through Isaiah, look, I know you've, you've blown it here. You didn't listen to me. And yes, you are, you are suffering the consequences of your disobedience. There's no, no question about that, right? But hang on. The darkness won't persist forever. Isn't that awesome? The darkness won't persist forever. And it's at the, it's at the end of this section where, where a little glimmer of light, where, where God speaks through Isaiah and, and he, he, he tells him, you know, there's, there is hope, man. Not all is lost. In fact, there will come one. Who will, be, who will be the one who will bring glory. He will, he, will, uh, he, will, he will fill this land with his glory. There will be one that will come along. A, a child, in fact, will be born. And, and, and he will be a great king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called a Mighty God, an Everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. He said, hang on, Ahaz. Don't, don't get too down don't get so swallowed out by the shadow of death. Remember Psalms 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, 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 and God's sort of telling him, he's, he's reminding him, look, man, don't get so, don't get hung up on that because the reality is I've got a plan in place. I will take care of the darkness. Now, now what does this mean for us? This is really, really, really cool. Um, essentially, essentially what we're talking about here what the good counselor, the God of all wisdom, is trying to tell us, even as you and I live with the reality of the shadow of death on us. He gives us counsel, he gives us wisdom on how to handle the darkness. How do we deal with the darkness? And the darkness may be ever even more significant to us today as we live in a time of uncertainty, a time of insecurity, a time of more TSA pat-downs, a time of more dudes carrying big guns at airports, a time in which when we travel abroad, we're just not quite certain when the, when the darkness of death could very well pressure us into living a life only with eyes on the present and lose sight of the future and the eternity and the hope 
of a soon coming king. Man. So the, the good counselor tells us how to handle the darkness. And I want you to notice something with me. How do we handle this darkness? How, we, how do we deal with the reality of this looming darkness of death over us? Let me suggest this. I think we're called to live with an enormous sense of joy. And I don't, I don't just say that because that's what we're supposed to say at church. Christians are supposed to be joyful. The kind of joy that Desiree displayed in the baptistry. You know, I think that's a deeper joy that she displayed, man. There's something profound about that joy. But here's what I know. Here's what I believe. That Christians should live with an enormous sense of joy. In fact, that's what, that's what Isaiah says in chapter, and, and again in verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. Check this out. Israel will again be great. Its people will what? Rejoice as people rejoice at harvest time. They will shout with joy. Maybe your version's a little different than what I have in mind. They will shout with joy. So the, there is a sense that though we live in the constant reality that the clock is ticking, that the shadow of death looms, that there is still joy and a deep joy that you and I can experience joy joy at the holidays we talk about joy but is it real is it profound let me continue on live with joy in anticipation of the gift and be a light in the darkness for others living in the shadow of death did you hear about that? Let me, let me say that one more time. Live with joy in anticipation of the gift and be a light in the darkness for others living in the shadow of death. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Man, I'm just telling you all, all my stuff today, right? I had issues with soap operas and I was, uh, the darkness. So, so, and I also wet the bed for a very long time. But all right, so too much information. Anyway, so, <laughs> so but I always love Christmas because at Christmas time, you know, my room, I'm an only child, so I had nobody else around me. Um, it was just me and my parents. And my parents' room was kind of across the house, and I had my, my room on the other side of the house. And uh, that was, a, we didn't have nightlights. My parents didn't believe in nightlights or something. I don't know what it was. But like, dude, you can deal with it, right? So, so I remember being terrified, even though I had to go to the little boy's room, you know, I'd stay in bed because I didn't want to get up and deal with having to walk through the dark room, you know, the, down the dark hallway to get to the bathroom and like run for the light and flip it on really quick. So, so Christmas was awesome because in the living room, in the living room, we had the Christmas tree and you had the lights on the Christmas tree and the light from the Christmas tree would, 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 would give a lot of light down the hall, the dark hallway of death as a kid is what I saw it as. And it was awesome. I always knew Christmas time meant light for the, dark, for the dark hallway. It always gave me hope. I could always get up. I wouldn't have to worry about not seeing or being terrified of the dark. And all I got to say is, folks, as a, as a church at Christmas time, 
as people who understand a deep and profound reality of the life to come, not just life in the present. We should be people who are lights in a dark place. We have to be people who are light in a dark place. The world needs Christians and believers who are, li- who are lights in a dark place. Live with joy. Live with a deep and profound sense of joy. Not a flighty little lightweight happiness, but a deep and profound joy. In anticipation of the gift, be a light. The gift is coming. The gift isn't a full reality yet. The gift of, of, of Jesus Christ isn't a full reality right now, but the gift is coming. Live with joy in anticipation of the gift and be a light in the darkness for others living in the shadow of death. That is our call. Now, how can or why can we do this? Why can we be light? Why, can, why do we not get caught up and get pressured by the darkness of the shadow of death in this day and age. Here's why. Jesus overcame the darkness. Jesus broke the back of death. Death no longer has any control or power over us. And though death may loom large in the reality of the life in which you and I live, it has no power or it shouldn't have any power. Because your Jesus, our Jesus, our God, and our Savior has taken care of death. So you and I can preoccupy our time with being a light in a dark world. Oh, we understand that this, this world, you know, is, it has much to offer and we live as much as we possibly can. But there's nothing that discourages us about the reality of what's coming either. We trust in what God can do. So let me wrap this up and just kind of give you a real life example of someone. Um, And this isn't political, by the way. I'm I'm just going to refer to a video and I'm not going to show parts of it, but, but please, and somebody will, somebody will have a hard time with me referring to this person in this video. And that's fine. Send your emails to Pastor Jeff. I think it's, um, I think it's G. Patterson at forestlakechurch.org. So, and this isn't political at all, um, but I saw a TED talk by Jimmy Carter recently. And, um, and for those of you who don't know um, Jimmy Carter's former president and so forth, but uh, he gave this TED talk just, uh, I think it was back in, I want to say June or back in May. And um, I happened across it for some reason. I don't know how I found it, but... It's just profound, and it, it illustrates for us kind of what, what we're talking about here as we live in the looming shadow of darkness and death. And maybe you know that, that he has cancer, and um, it's metastasized, it's, it's spreading. The reality of the darkness of death being imminent for him is, is very much real. And what, what spoke to me as I watched this, um, this video is... Um, is what he didn't do. So he gets up, it's like a 15, 20 minute uh, video. And basically what he's, the, the focus of his TED talk is he identifies the most, the most, uh, the, most gr- the grossest atrocity taking place in regard to human rights in, in, today's, in today's world. And he says it's abuse towards women, abuse towards women. 
And so he knows that he has a finite amount of time for a TED Talk. They don't give you like lots of time like preachers get. So TED Talk, he has a finite amount of time. And even though he is very much aware of the darkness of death looming over him, he stands up and he begins to talk and he immediately goes into what he considers the most gross and atrocious thing happening in our world today, and that is abuse against women. What strikes me about that is he doesn't take any time to talk about, well, you know, you know, I'm not going to be here much longer. Yeah, I've had this cancer, and it's, it's been years, and, and, and all these things. He doesn't take any time talking about the reality of the valley of the shadow of death on him. And it would, it, it would have been fine if he had. It would have been totally fine, and, and, and that's, that's not a problem. But, but what strikes me is that in the time that he has left on this planet, he begins to, t- to shine a light and be a light on something so dark and devastating as human rights and abuses towards women and girls. Powerful. Powerful. Live with joy... Live with joy, live with joy in anticipation of the gift and be a light in the darkness for others living in the shadow of death. In the time that you and I have left, what are we going to do? We don't have to worry about death in the, in the sense of an eternal death. Yes, you and I are, are mortal and, and God, Jesus doesn't change that till he returns. But, but what will we spend our time doing? Will we, will we be terrified by the reality of the darkness of death and spend our lives doing all sorts of things, preoccupying our time with the present, fubbing, if you will? Or will we be a light because we know that the great light came into this world and broke the back of the darkness and gives us eternal life. How will you live? I love what Carter does. Jesus has handled the darkness for us. You and I don't have to worry about it. That, is, that brings us tremendous joy. Let's go and be a light in a very dark place and bring joy to others in the world. Father, thank you for this season. Thank you for the reality of life beyond this present life. Thank you, though, Father, too, that you give us a purpose to live until that day when you come back. May we fully embrace that purpose and may we become the light that you already told us that we were. You said that your church is the light to the world. May we be that and may we be that especially at this time of Christmas where there are those, Lord, who live in darkness. May we be a light. May we have the courage to step into dark places and may we experience the joy of knowing that you have won the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.